Welcome to Roar Deep Dive, a podcast produced by the Middleborough Institute's Translation and Localization Management Program, bringing together global voices from the localization industry. I'm your host for this episode, Dan Lin Zhao, and today we are talking to Kai Menghuang, discussing her career journey in the industry and her insights on localization and globalization. Hi, Kaimeng. Thank you for agreeing to be our guest for this episode. Before we get into details, could you tell us about yourself and your background? Yeah, thank you for inviting me. I'm very happy to join the podcast and share my experience related to localization. Um, yeah, a little bit about myself. I have um, been always, always in the international professional field. So I started as an international management professional, and then I moved to international business, and now I'm doing international investment. So my career has always been in so-called international area, and, and I really enjoyed it. That's why I'm even today, after you know 20 years, I'm still passionate about international, anything international. Um, and I um, actually uh, got the scholar ship called General Stowell Scholarship about 25 years ago. Um, and that enabled me to go to US and pursue this master's degree in international management at MITS. And that's how I later became a volunteer to the Stowell Scholarship Committee. And I've been interviewing uh, students from China ever since. So I, I don't remember how many students I've interviewed, but um, I would say all of the scholars I interviewed, I had such hope for them to, you know, to follow the passion like I did and be successful in their own, you know, in aspirations in professional area and also in work and life and, you know, all the things they, they would continue to do uh, for, you know, for others, for society, you know, for the country. Um, so that, that's why I, I really, really enjoy, um, you know, this um, uh, career and also what, what it has brought me today. Thank you. I know you studied telecommunications engineering, conference interpreting and business administration. How did you make the transition from tech, linguistic and business background into localization? What influenced the path you've taken <laughs> yeah so that has to go back even to before i started my college um, i have always been interested in language and because of my dad um, i started to learn english um, as a third grader and i also learned uh, japanese for two years uh, in my primary school and my dad he's um uh, he's learned uh, russian when he was in college uh, back in the 1960s um, but, um, you know, later on, uh, because he couldn't use Russian anymore, um, he started to learn English. So my father and I started to learn English almost at the same time and the Japanese, too. So we would be listening to radio uh, to learn English and Japanese together. So I, I, my passion ha for language has always been because of my dad. Um, and when I started to um, uh, you know, attend the Beijing University of Post and Telecommunications. I actually um, uh, chose this program of telecommunications engineering taught in English entirely. 
because uh, at that time, the school has the benefit of several professors who just returned from the United Nations, uh, working in various aspects of the Telecommunication Standards Committee, and they are able to teach the entire curriculum in English. It's an engineering curriculum, but it was taught entirely in English. That's why I chose this program. Um, by the time I was at the um, uh, sophomore year, uh, they told me about an opportunity. So professor um, uh, one day told me, there is an opportunity for an international interpreter career that I could try uh, if I apply to the United Nations training program for interpreters and translators at the Beijing Foreign, uh, Foreign Language Institute. That's what uh, is called um, Beijing Foreign Language Institute, but it's today uh, Beijing Foreign Studies University. So I'm like, wow, that's great. I always wanted to work for an international organization or international company. Um, so I applied for the United Nations training program for interpreters at uh, Beiwai, and I got in. <laughs> I was one of the 10 people um, that passed the entrance exam. And also two years later, I got my United Nations interpreter certificate. So I didn't really graduate from Beiyu. Um, you know, during my sophomore year, I transferred to Beiwai. I accept the offer for the UN um, interpreter training and I passed the certificate. Uh, so I was ready to be recruited by UN as an interpreter. Uh, and then, um, you know, something happened. Um, it didn't really um, matriculate because the UN has um, been suffering a budget uh, tightening during that year. They couldn't offer us the position. So I went to um, uh, uh, Bank of China uh, as an interim job. Uh, with, uh, and I uh, worked in the international uh, trade department at Bank of China for one year, waiting for UN to give me the offer. And uh, so while I was waiting, um, somebody told me, uh, instead of waiting, why don't you, you know, apply to an um, MBA, um, you know, program in the U.S. and you could um, uh, use the time to study an MBA and then you can uh, wait for the job offer from UN. When the job offer came, you would already have um, gotten a master's degree. Uh, why not do that? So that's how I started to consider this um, a possibility of applying for a graduate study. And I, because of my passion for language, um, I immediately connected with Professor Bao Chuan Yun uh, at MISS, uh, because uh, to me, he's like a big brother. He graduated from the UN interpreter program many years before me. And, and uh, Shi Xiaojing and uh, Bao Chuan Yun, both of them highly recommended MISS to me, uh, because at that time, MISS was offering an MBA degree <laughs> uh, since I work in the bank in the international trade uh, department, um, everybody thought, wow, that's, that would be a great combination if you can combine language with business um, and you could do you know, so many more jobs opportunity in the future. Right. So I, I got the offer from Miss right away and then they offered me the Stillwell Scholarship. <laughs> Surprised that I could be offered a Stillwell Scholarship. And um, so that's how it happened. One thing lead to another, and, but because uh, there's a common denominator, which is my passion for language, I've always, always tried to use this um, language skill uh, to some extent. Um, but uh, I, don't, I do not know at the time whether language would be a career for me or would be just a, you know, a tool to help my career. 
At that time, I do not know the answer to that yet. I was still hoping I could work in UN as an interpreter. Even when I was at Miss, I, I, I went to UN to do some interpreter job uh, with Professor Bao <laughs> together. So yeah, so that's how it happened. Cool. So you started your career in localization in 1998 after graduating from Miss. How do you yeah. think the industry itself has changed in the last 20 years? Is it much different now than it used to be? Yes, the localization industry has gone a full circle, uh, just like you know so many things in Silicon Valley that I have witnessed. Um, bone and bust, bone and bust. Maybe not uh, one circle, actually, maybe uh, two circles. Um, that's just um, you know the fact of business, uh, because localization has always, um, to me, uh, been a key kind of driver for a lot of the software companies um, to go international, to pursue their international expansion. So almost all the Silicon Valley companies, um, including hardware companies, because software is such an integral part to even software, uh, to hardware, most companies would have uh, to consider localization as a key strategy in order to pursue these international market. Uh, so I have seen so many companies in Silicon Valley, including my company, Adobe, where I worked for you know, 16 years altogether, uh, gone through the localization business cycle. Um, then, you know, we have uh, seen great opportunities when the localization industry was um, starting and expanding and then kind of um, um, becoming more mature. And then with the um, big data and now AI and then machine learning, it has uh, gone through, you know, this automation phase, uh, becoming more efficient, becoming more productive. And then all the international champions for, you know, um, for the market, for different culture, uh, for different languages, uh, getting more and more leadership roles in the industry. So I've seen all of that. Um, and um, I, I really think this uh, whole uh, experience working in the localization industry kind of defined my career, and, but, but it really widened my perspective. Uh, so I see international market very differently uh, now than when I started at this job. I learned so much, not just about language, not just about language, culture related matters, uh, but more important, I learned about leadership. Uh, you know, how to work with so many international stakeholders in order to drive a business idea, in order to win, you know, new customers, in order to enter a new market. Um, and then I contribute real value to the company's bottom line. And my job become more and more business oriented, become more strategic. Um, and I get to work with, um, you know, people in the decision making positions, uh, in leadership roles in the company. So therefore you, you, you kind of grow yourself into that role um, as time passes. So that's how you become, you know, a leader in your area in terms of international business. And uh, so I, I, I can see this career um, changed a lot because of the business cycle that affect, affected um, the high tech industry and affected the localization industry in the last mm -hmm. 20 years. What skills do you consider absolutely necessary in terms of globalization and localization? Well, in terms of the job itself, I think the most important um, skill to have 
is um, communication. Communication, communication, communication. <laughs> um, yeah, um, to me, communication is about people. Um, so you really have to uh, reach out, connect with, and effectively communicate with people. People at all levels, people from all different departments, people at all different teams. So communication is really the most important skill uh, that you could have if you want to be successful. Um, but then you also have to embrace teamwork. Uh, you also have to have some uh, strategic thinking. And uh, then you also have to have some innovation kind of training in order to be able to always embrace and learn new things. So your mindset has to be constantly open. Then you are open to new ideas, new skills, new knowledge, you know, new products. Um, even now with AI, you have to be open about AI. Even if AI means your job could be very different in the future. You know, so, so you really have to be uh, open-minded and constantly renew your own knowledge and be um, a lifelong kind of a learner. Uh, anything new come your way, your attitude should always be open, embrace, and you know, become part of that change, become part of that new thing. Uh, so make yourself you know, always be part of the change. That's the important thing. It, it, it happens so quickly in the uh, localization industry, in the high-tech industry in Silicon Valley. I can see that all those uh, who are more successful as time goes by are those who are able to adapt and learn new things. You mentioned that uh, you worked at Adobe for a long time. I can mm -hmm. see you uh, there as a director of emerging market and then the founder of Software R&D Globalization Center. I'm curious, could you elaborate on, let's start with the daily responsibilities. How did a typical workday look like? Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so um, yeah, to give you some idea about my localization, day-to-day um, -day work. Um, I can start with maybe a product that I managed, um, you know, the end-to-end -end localization of one of Adobe's flagship product called Photoshop. Um, basically, um, my job at the time was the program manager, localization program manager for Photoshop. That was, um, I think it was uh, from 1998 to 2000. That's when Photoshop was still at um, uh, Photoshop 6, which is a very, very old uh, version, a dinosaur. Um, but Photoshop uh, is one of uh, Adobe's killer product. It still generates the most revenue for Adobe. So it's one of the you know, most successful product Adobe has ever, ever uh, done. And I was managing a, a cross-functional team uh, you know, including localization project managers, including engineers, uh, including software developers. So your day would start with, you know, usually some meetings, planning meetings with all these multifunctional people. And you would have to understand in the end-to-end -end software localization cycle for this product where things are at that particular day. 
what are the customer requirements that you need to acquire? So in the morning, you, 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 know, you gather all the requirements, all the schedule information, and all the uh, you know, research, and also the uh, engineering team's feedback, and the QE team's feedback, uh, quality engineering issues. And then you do what? You make a call to see where the priorities are. So you need to set the uh, priority for all these things related or the product team dependent on you to know what to do uh, for that day, for that week, for that cycle. Um, because as a program manager, you should be the centralizer of all these information from all the multinational team, from both internal Adobe team and also outside Adobe team, from customers, from vendors, right? So you would be making the call about the priorities and you should communicate the priorities to everyone so that everyone stay on course, you know, on track to move and deliver according to that priority order. So that my job every day is, um, you know, changing because uh, there's no, no one day that's the same as the previous day. Um, so always different, always so many things happen. And then you, you know, you have to consider the risk. You have to consider, you know, all these factors. And then you have to do negotiation. You have to, you know, um, talk to all the teams about resources. You need to, you know, manage the vendors because they are doing the outsourcing work for you. Um, basically every day is uh, super, super busy and so many meetings. Um, and then, you know, try to uh, stay proactive and to, you know, prevent any risks uh, and also to stay on, on top of your schedule um, and also get everyone to be aware what's the focus, what's the priority, what are the most important things to deliver on schedule, on time and according to the quality requirements. And I can tell you at the time, we already started uh, machine translation. And that has always been a key part to the localization uh, efficiency improvement. It's a key driver for our localization innovation. And even today, I think because of the development of AI, uh, like natural language processing, uh, text automation, um, machine translation, context, uh, emotion, you know, that kind of um, AI tools and now um, uh, AI, you know, localization automation, these things are going to continue be the major trend and also the driver for the future uh, efficiency gains for the whole industry. And I really see this is the area that all the localization, um, you know, um, uh, new, you know, if you're new to this industry, you really need to uh, grasp and master um, the AI. Uh, you know, all the AI uh, innovation tools for this um, uh, industry uh, to go forward. Uh, you need to stay on top of it. Mm, cool. What was it that you liked the most about your job at Adobe? Alternatively, what brought you the most joy or sense of accomplishment from what you did? Wow, Adobe is a great company. <laughs> so if I have any advice for you guys uh, in terms of choosing a career, is you really need to choose a great company like, you know, like Adobe. And also there are many other great companies. And the reason is um, once this company um, really, you know, put people first, like Adobe's culture is, you always have opportunities to learn, uh, not just from, 
technology itself, but from people. So that's the part that I most enjoy at Adobe. I have worked for Adobe for 16 years, the first 10 years in US and the last uh, six years in China. And I've always get to work with great people, very smart people, people who are passionate and people who are innovative, people who are dedicated. So I think you, and, and all these, I think it's because of Adobe's culture. Adobe's culture put people first. And that's the culture that's defined by the two Adobe founders. They are really people with great integrity and great vision. So I think the company culture is, is why Adobe is a great company and why I get to work so many great people there. And I enjoy this aspect the most, more than anything. Uh, if I didn't have to change job, <laughs> I probably would work for Adobe forever. And Adobe actually, since I left, has become even more successful. The market value continue to climb. And now Adobe is the number one SaaS company, SaaS, you know, SaaS leader in the whole world. Um, so so I, I think um, this, uh, this is the aspect I enjoy the most, but also, you know, I really, really take great pride in working at the localization um, business for Adobe that I was able to grow Adobe's revenue, international revenue from 30% when I first started in 1998. So the international revenue share was only 30%. Um, because we localized very few languages at the time. But the one um, is 2008, that's the year I came back to China and I become the R&D uh, site uh, leader GM for China. Uh, before that, you know, before that time I left, I, I know Adobe's international revenue has grown from 30% to over 60%. And that's, that's because of localization. That's because we were able to localize so many products into many, many more languages. So in the end, for example, Acrobat, when I started in 98, has been localized only into like five languages, you know, French, German, Japanese, and then two more languages. I think it's a Spanish, um, Spanish and um, Portuguese. And when, by the time I left, uh, I left for China uh, in 2008, uh, Acrobat has been localized into 33 languages, 33. Wow. So that's how, you know, Adobe's revenue also grow from, you know, 30% international revenue to um, over 60% uh, revenue from international market. And to me, that's, that's a huge accomplishment, not just because of my work, but also because of my colleagues' work. And I feel so uh, proud that we were able to do that, to make such a big impact on, on the international market. Um, and I really, really take great pride in that. And I got the um, Adobe Founders Award because of my work. Um, they, they only pick one person from Asia. Uh, so I was the first person, um, you know, they picked uh, from Asia to um, to be awarded this award along with 10 other worldwide Adobe employees. So the Founders Award is, is the top prize for Adobe uh, employee accomplishment. And I got that in 2011. And the first one from Asia. <laughs> I was very proud I got that. That's impressive. And what were the 
biggest challenges you often face working for such a big company? Well, as with all of the big companies, I think um, they all have um, so many different teams, so many different products, so many different levels of decision makers. And you always have to try through that in order to you know, find the way to solve you know, some important problems, some, some of the ideas you believe in, you wanna get people to work with you. So that's, that would take more time if it's a big company than a smaller company, because you have to convince so many stakeholders, you have to go through so many levels and you, you really have to talk to so many of them. But then because of their job are all dispersed in different parts of the company, they have different priorities. What you think is important is not something what they think would be important for them. So you, you really have to use a lot of your influence, you have to use persuasion, you have to evangelize, you have to you know, kind of talk to them uh, about your ideas, where you came from, what you wanted to accomplish. And in order, in order to do all of that, you have to be very, very patient. The company is just too big. Uh, so that's the drawback of working for a large company is that uh, you have to be patient to convince and lead so many different stakeholders. And that takes time, that takes patience, that takes persuasion and takes leadership. Speaking of international market, what do you think are the factors that minimize the risk of globalization failure or maximize the chances of success? Um, the most important thing that I can think of based on my experience is to plan early, is to plan early and to have globalization as a company corporate level strategy rather than an afterthought. So in order to have successful localization, you have to have successful globalization strategy at the beginning, day one, you know, when you first started to design the product, you should already have globalization factors considered in your planning. So you really have to be able to have globalization as design for your entire product from day one. So I think that's, that's the most important thing you could do. If you wanna mitigate the risks, if you wanna prevent some of the missteps, some of the time consuming, you know, inefficient um, problems you may encounter down the line, because localization is about execution and engineering and delivering localize the language and versions, right? But if you don't do the globalization at the, the beginning, at the design phase, you cannot possibly prevent some of the problems from happening, right? But if you've done it right, at the design phase, you already enabled your product you know, with your globalization planning, with your strategy, with your coding approach, with your you know, product requirements that accommodate the international requirements, right? So if you can do all of that at the beginning, which is called the design phase, you would be able to reduce the risk for localization down the line. So that would be my advice. Mm. What, uh, what about your predictions for the industry, such as its direction, growth, uh, prospect, 
uh, or job opportunities? Um, yeah, like I said, I have seen the localization industry going through cycles, uh, going through several cycles, right? It, it, it's like an up and down, an up and down. Um, these days, I think looking back, a lot of the localization industry landscape has changed because of because of technology because of um, the you know ai especially right for example with machine translation and automation a lot of the vendors are no longer there a lot of the outsourcing and the the manual process a lot of the workflow that are manual are already replaced by ai a lot of the management practice and also adapted to the new reality, which means a new organization structure, new ways of working um, both internally and externally to facilitate the localization process has changed. So, so this, this is a very fast changing industry. I see the future still have a lot of uncertainties. I don't know where this is gonna end up, just like I believe AI will change so many things, change our life, change the industry, um, change the way we work, change the way, you know, a lot of, um, uh, a lot of the, um, uh, for example, education industry, for example, manufacturing industry, uh, no matter it's old or new industry, this effect are gonna take, take 20 years, you know, from today, maybe to 2050, there will be so many things in the future we cannot foresee. Um, and I, I believe the localization industry will be driven by how fast AI can continue to change every aspect. Um, you know, no matter it's robotics or it's the workflow automation or it's an AI, you know, for automating um, multiple languages, um, you know, for AI to, be able to even um, replace human in some area when it comes to translation, when it comes to maybe um, industrial material translation, which are in a controlled language environment, um, when it comes to you know interpreting for patients, uh, when it comes to you know um, language being translated uh, in real time, um, you know from a ro robot to a human. Uh, for you know, for them to communicate, and um, you know, for the robot to you know to be a family addition, uh, maybe take care of some household uh, work, maybe it's um, a music box or voice box. There's so many things. I think uh, AI will continue drive the localization and the translation business going forward. And I really think everyone, the only thing you can do is to adapt and learn new things, uh, so that you won't be you know, left behind, you won't be outdated and your knowledge won't be, you know, old and useless, right? So you really have to constantly renew and learn new things. Um, and I think localization and the manual part, the language part, the heavy lifting of the word-to-word -word translation, those eventually are going to be mostly replaced by machine. Um, it, it's it's good and bad, but but I, I think it really depends on your own kind of a mindset to learn new things and to be innovative. And you can always 
you know, um, try to be the most innovative and creative uh, person uh, in a team or in a, in, in, in a company uh, or in, you know, in, in a work kind of situation to, 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 to kind of try to always catch up with the new things, stay on top of the new things, try new product, use new technology. Maybe there's a little risk there, you know, when you maybe change from one job to another new job, that's maybe uncertain. But I might advise you always try a new job. You always try the new work. You always try the, the job that can give you new opportunity. And so you can always, you know, have that kind of that kind of approach to change. Then you will always be able to change yourself accordingly, right? So the future then would not not be that scary. Thank you. And uh, in your career until now, do you have any memorable stories you'd like to share with us? Yeah, so when I started to work for Adobe to set up the Adobe R&D Center in China, and the six years in China, actually I had learned so much. That's actually the key uh, to my career change. After I done 10 years, you know, in Adobe San Jose, in the localization department, when I changed to work to set up the Adobe R&D Center, my career, direction totally changed. Mm -hmm. Of course, I still, you know, set up the Adobe R&D Center, uh, including, you know, several globalization teams in China. Uh, I still involved in localization, globalization. But my main job, when I started to work, uh, work to set up Adobe China R&D Center, my main job is business, is emerging market. Uh, because China R&D Center also manage Adobe India, Adobe Japan, Adobe, uh, you know, two offices in Eastern Europe. And so I, my job was a very international job, but mostly is to enable Adobe's global emerging market business. So my job become very business oriented. What, what does that mean? It, it means it's no longer operation and localization focused. I have to figure out new products new solutions, new software that can bring us new business in all these international emerging markets, including China. And China is so different than a lot of other markets. I have to really focus on making Adobe's leaders and the CEO aware, you know, what we need to do differently in China in order to be successful. Uh, so, so my job completely changed when I worked for Adobe in China, but it's the most rewarding experience too. And it helped me change my career direction to business focus. I will be working, you know, um, uh, you know, working with Baidu in a partnership, working with Tencent or Sina in a partnership in order to launch our, um, you know, flash engine service in China, which follows a new model, which is revenue sharing. And that's something that we've never done in any parts of the world, including in the US and all the other markets. It's a new thing. Um, and then I work, have to work with China uh, government in order to make them approve Adobe PDF as a China national standard. Um, you know, I would be working with so many uh, different 
um, you know, channel partners, uh, and also, uh, you know, um, uh, flash developers, game developers, software developers in an open source uh, community, for example. And then I have to, you know, work with um, our competitors, um, you know, like um, Beida Fangzheng, uh, Founders Group. Right. And then I, I make proposals for, you know, what kind of promising Chinese technology uh, startups that we should invest in and we should, uh, you know, try to acquire uh, because China also kind of spearheading uh, a lot of innovation in the mobile area. Uh, I would be making recommendation and also looking at um, what kind of startup company in China that we should acquire. I will be, you know, uh, doing uh, all these uh, investment uh, kind of uh, homework and then mm, uh, put my proposal together to um, the CEO meeting and uh, try to get uh, them to look at the China market opportunities and also make investment. And so I was able to, for example, set up a $20 million investment fund just for acquire uh, innovative Chinese startups. And so my job changed to see very different uh, from localization to now, you know, driving emerging market business success. Um, mm. So, so yeah, so the last six years working at Adobe China, that's definitely, um, you know, a new direction for me uh, personally, uh, you know, career-wise, family-wise. So I moved back to China and uh, since then I, I've uh, stayed in China. And since I left Adobe, I changed from international business to international investment. So now I, now I have my own venture fund and I invest in design and designer startups. So that's a continuation of what I did at Adobe in a more strategic uh, way in the last few years for Adobe, you know, to invest in some Chinese technology companies. I decided that that's something that I'm really passionate about and I will be making a big uh, impact. So when I left Adobe in 2014, I set up my own venture fund. So now I have my um, own venture fund, which is um, uh, uh, Chinese RMB, uh, 600 million. So I, you know, I can work with my partner to invest in designer startups, uh, companies that are funded by designers uh, or design as a background of the founder's profile. And also you, they use design thinking, they use um, you know, design-driven innovation approach in their startup, in their technology. So we look for these kind of companies and we invest in them uh, in the early stage. So that's, um, you know, that's uh, something that I uh, have, um, um, you know, been able to do uh, when I work for Adobe, but then I decided that would be a second phase of my career. Now I'm, uh, uh, you know, in international um, investment. Now it's a routine question for our guests. What is localization? And could you add what are the differences between globalization and localization? Yeah, see, that's the that's the question that I also, also go through a learning process myself. I think localization is um, in the end is more about delivering, um, you know, delivering a product, de delivering international version language products to customers. That's localization. But uh, globalization is uh, is more about strategy and design and plan planning, because globalization needs to happen early and localization can happen after globalization is already you know well planned and well uh, enabled. Um, so that two things can go together, but um, the two of them really needs to be ordered correctly. So globalization, for example, cannot happen after 
localization, right? It needs to happen earlier. Uh, the earlier, the better. And uh, to me, you know, the industry is changing. So there are a lot of new things to learn. When I started, uh, I, you know, I um, learned a lot from my colleague, but I also learned a lot from industry associations and other, you know, outside Adobe industry experts. I, I go to industry conferences. I go to, you know, um, Tao, the translation automation organization. I involve in the outsourcing um, association uh, localization world conference. I go there every year, you know, and when they have conferences in Beijing, in US, in um, Singapore, I go to all of them. I write papers and I present, you know, um, uh, PPT and talks. Uh, I was presenter in several of the localization world conferences where I talk about, you know, localization uh, and also lo uh, globalization and how, you know, how they go together. I have written papers on them, but I can't, I, I, I don't know where they are right now, but, uh, um, you know, learning these new things, which are a little bit academic, a little bit research oriented, you know, like you look at why, you know, you use big data in localization process. When you, uh, when you use the machine uh, translation, what are the, you know, um, things you need to consider in order to, um, you know, make the localization process uh, and workflow uh, more efficient. And so all these things are area that you can spend time to, to learn. And, and if you're interested, you can do research, you can write papers and you can, you know, work with the industry. Um, you know, um, uh, I, I believe uh, that that's the way to lead, you know, the future trend of the localization industry is through, you know, all these uh, thought leaders, uh, you know, that, that uh, you know, people who are forward thinking, people who are, you know, really passionate about localization's future, uh, about the combination of technology, you know, and product and marketing um, and, uh, you know, and engineering. <laughs> so so when, when all these things kind of converge, you, you can always find an area that you want to spend more time. So you have an angle for your own career as a localization professional, no matter it's from engineering angle, from design angle, from, you know, program management angle, or from business angle, you can always kind of use that as an advantage, advantage, and you can expand your career. So, so you really have to go deep, but you have to go wide at the same time. So I, I think localization is a great angle to start someone's career, but you really have to be um, very, very, you know, um, uh, passionate about certain aspects of it. So, you know, uh, when the industry change, you can always expand and get new opportunities. Um, and, uh, you know, you can always try new things. There, there's so many more things you could do once you're in localization you will see it you will understand it and then you will be able to you know to uh, jump on it well thank you Kaimo. thank you for your time speaking with us sure you're welcome it's my pleasure